Once upon a time, before knights fought with demons, before battle, before war, and before the sun, there was a great city at the top of the world. Built of ice and starlight, full of elegant palaces, shimmering statues, it was home to a people whose splendor we are not given to understand. Clad in starlight and snowflakes, they lived a life of bliss. They named their city Polaris, for it stood atop the world like that guardian star stood atop the sky. It was an enchanted age that single night. The stars spun at their command and drew rainbows through the ice, painting the air in red and blue and white and shadow. Between the star shadows, the people danced with the stars, and in the dances they smiled. For the stars were beautiful, they themselves were beautiful, and their queen was the most beautiful of all. Could that night have been forever? Was it some error or some choice that summoned a rosy temptation into their history? Were those people lax or failing or unlucky in some way? Or was it merely the turning wheel of fate? We cannot know why it came or what could have been if it had not. We can only know that the sightings began with the artists. One and one they saw it, only fleeting and irregular, that light coming up from the edge of the sky, colors redder than stars, new shades that had never been seen, yellow and green and golden through the icicle walls, burning out the stars from the sky, brilliant and impossible and beautiful and alien. But hope was not yet lost, for there were some amongst the people that did not love the dawn. Each of the queen's guardians swore ancient oaths by the highest star, oaths to stop the dawn's fell influence. That, it is said, was the origin of the Knights of the Order of the Stars. It is said that the first oath was sealed with a kiss in the most ancient manner, and some say that was the beginning of the mistake. The mistake festers like a neglected apology, giving witness to the arrogance of the past, just as the demons it spawns give the promise of doom to the future. Many stories are told about the mistake, its nature, its origins, and its history. No one knows the truth, but everyone knows that before the mistake, their city was perfect, their sky was dark, and the people had no fear. And that now their city is left a smoking crater. Their sky is lit by the brilliant sun and haunted by a ghostly moon. And the people have learned horror, terror, and 10,000 other ravages of time. Once there would have been no need for nights, when the sky was dark and perfect, the starlight pure and cold, and the people without fear or flaw. But that time is over now, and the call for nights has never been greater, for there is only one order, your order, the Knights Stellar, that stand opposed between the remnants of the people and the demons that would devour them. Hello and welcome to Calamity Vault, where we play every indie RPG one week at a time. This week we are playing a game called Polaris, Chivalric Tragedy at the Utmost North. And it is a bit different than the kind of RPGs most people are used to. This is a GMless RPG, but this game is unique in that all of the players are also GMs for another player. It's a little confusing, but we'll go into the rules during the game. Polaris was written by Ben Lehman and is available on Itch, Indie Press Revolution, DriveThruRPG. There are a lot of places you can find it, so strap in because you're about to meet some very cool doomed knights.
Hi, I'm Jack. My pronouns are he, him. Hi, I'm Avery. My pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Z. Pronouns are they, them. Hey, I'm Juliana, and my pronouns are still your problem. Today we are playing Polaris, or trying to, anyway. Uh, Polaris is a little bit of a weird game. It's technically jamless. Polaris splits up narrative responsibility, rotating by scene. Where you have one active player and three people functioning as co-GMs of a sort, one of whom is primarily responsible for description and for antagonistic movement. The other two GMs are almost secondary in the particular scene, uh, and those are called the moons. We'll get into all of this terminology later. This is definitely a game that makes more sense when you kind of see it work. If it works, we'll see. Uh, and those are, but those church, uh, pr- secondary GMs are called the moons. Uh, one of the secondary GMs, one of the moons, is responsible for characters. The protagonist has a hierarchical or um, social social relationship with. And the other GM is responsible for characters that the protagonist has a primarily emotional or intimate connection with. So does that mean that in all of the scenes, you are going to have protagonist, antagonist, personal character, social character? Not necessarily. If you go, ah, oh, yes, you know, I would like to have a scene with, like, my, my, my fiancé. Your opposing GM, this is called Mistaken... Uh, your opposing GM is going to be responsible for filling in a lot of the details. And if there is, for example, like a demon possessing your fiance, they're responsible for that. But your new moon, who is responsible for your emotional and interpersonal relationships, is is playing your fiance. This gives your full moon, which is your social or hierarchical relationships, potentially not anything to do in that scene, but that is okay. The moons are not in every scene. They're basically supporting GMs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the antagonist is not necessarily in that scene either, then. Yes. So your your antagonistic GM does not necessarily control a singular character, which is the antagonist, but rather all demons and is responsible for causing problems. Yeah. Giving details, explicating scenes. Yeah. They end, uh, the mistaken or the antagonistic GM ends up in the pretty much the traditional GM role with the very large exception that the moons control NPCs. Emily popping in with an editor's note. I just wanted to go over that vocabulary because you are going to be hearing a lot of it. Polaris has played with four people. Two of them play the protagonists. These are the heroes. These are the knights. And their antagonist is called the mistake. The mistakes are played by the other two players of the four. So this game will be played in pairs, where one player is the protagonist and one player is the antagonist. They will act out scenes together. While one pair is acting out a scene, the other two will be playing a full moon and a new moon. The full moon plays all of the NPCs that the protagonist has a hierarchical relationship with. So this can be anything from fellow knights, artistic colleagues, commanding officers, senators, or emotionally distant family members. The new moon, on the other hand, guides the personal and interpersonal realms of the story, and they will play all of the NPCs that have a more personal relationship with the protagonist, like lovers, close friends, and some close family members. So at any given point, you have one person playing the protagonist, one person playing the antagonist, or the mistaken, one person playing the full moon, or the person that the protagonist has hierarchical relationships with, and one person will be playing the new moon, the person that the protagonist has social or intimate relationships with. It's a little confusing, but I'm here to tell you that there will be a test. So you might want to remember this. 
but don't worry, I grade on a curve. Okay, bye. Yeah, so traditionally, the way that Polaris is played, Polaris is um, said to be played with four people. It's supposed to be played with four people. There are technically ways to do it in other places, but the book really discourages it. It isn't meant for one-shots. The game is supposed to be played over four to 12 sessions, rotating between every single person's protagonists. Because we are doing this as a one-shot, we can have two protagonists, which means that if you're not playing a protagonist, you will be playing an antagonist. So basically what this means is that there will be two primary GMs and two primary heroes. Just today, we won't necessarily all play knights if that's okay with everyone, but we all will have an active role. Yeah, so I will introduce Polaris. Traditionally, the game starts um, with a reading of moments frozen from the flow of time. Long ago, the people were dying at the end of the world. And so it was. Moments frozen from the flow of time. Once upon a time, as far north as north can go, there lived the greatest people that this world will ever know. We cannot look upon them as they were, but we can understand them as they die, melting like a snowflake in the sun. For these people are gone now, destroyed just as the world destroys all beautiful things. All that remains are these moments we call memories, moments frozen from the flow of time. Behold. A beautiful girl, alone in a waste of ice, stares into a glowing starlit city. Her face is expressionless, but the snow falling from her lips betrays her envy. His blood drips from an alien flower that he cannot bear to hold while his sister cradles her own hand and waits, not quite crying, for the knife. In such a blizzard, you can only see them by the light of their swords. With a single gesture and a single note from her simple song, the flesh tears off the corrupt senators, exposing the worms squirming beneath. Dancing thick on an icicle floor, a thousand couples stop in time, staring through a rainbow glass at glowing edge of dawn just appearing on the horizon. Enraptured, he does not see its claws. Swords clash at the edge of a glacial ravine, one pale and singing like starlight, one hot and burning like the sun. Our knight looks up into his opponent's frozen and fiery eyes to recognize his brother. In a crypt of sleeping knights, she leans over a fallen warrior, betrayed by his own companions. Hush, she whispers, and kisses him gently as he turns to ice. With only a moment's hesitation, she drives her sword into her lover's heart. Forgive me, he says, and toasts her as he dies. This is no longer a history. This is not yet a story. This is all that remains. Whatever else is what you make of it. So that is Polaris, or the setting of Polaris. Adventures of knightly virtue in the farthest north. And it seems to be a setting constructed mainly of vibes. Crucially, Moments Frozen from the Flow of Time is good for, like, setting tone and, like, the degree of surrealism. But there are, like, 30 pages of setting and history. Which I would love to read to you. Which we could just read to you out loud, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm being so brave and not doing that, but God, it's so good. Because you should buy the book and read it. 
Yes. Uh, obviously. Yes. But I think an interesting note, since we're discussing that section, is that the first 20 or so of those pages are history slash legend of the world that was before, isn't, or is remembered, etc., etc. So there is a strong sense of this mourning and loss of this perfect endless night and the beautiful city that these people lived in and danced through. It does go into detail about the rising of the sun, the first coming of the first dawn as it tears a hole through the fabric of the sky. About the warnings of musicians who, whose only music that they, they receive from this is to scream, which is ignored because music is no longer in style of the people who track its coming, of the artists who fall into madness. But the city is gone now. Where it was, where the king was and the queen was and her knight was, there is only the mistake. What remains now are four remnants of this city. Are they themselves to fall eventually? Perhaps. Certainly every spring... The demons pour forth from the mistake, drawing their strength from the returning sun. And this, if it hasn't been clear before, is a game about chivalric tragedy. This is a tragedy, and there is really no other way that it can end. We won't be playing out the full arc today because this is a one-shot, but um, you see the bones of tragedy in almost everything that the game does. With that, do we want to start talking about character creation? There are physical demons, and there are demons of the mind and the heart. There are, there are some which surge forth from this mistake and for, with which you can go and do open battle, but there are others that hide within a sunbeam, or hide within like the moment that you are sure, the single moment that you are sure that you are loved. Despair is a demon. Grief can be a demon. Essentially... Demons here can be not just those physical manifestations, but the things that drag you away from your knightly virtue and your duty. As knights of the Order of the Star, our duty, which ostensibly was sworn however long ago uh, to oppose the coming of the dawn, is to protect the people and what is left of them, what is left of our our world. Is anyone in particular more interested, uh, because we're all sitting around the computer in a way that should work, um, in demons that are more stabbable or demons that you have to do mental battle with? I think I might be leaning a little bit to the less physical demons. But... I'm also leaning to the less physical demons. Okay. 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 The one, yeah. So the two of you are, are one pair then, mm-hmm. right? Are we yeah. pairing? And one of the two of you needs to then be the antagonist amongst the two yeah. of you. Okay. That's the question. Uh-huh. Do you want to antagonize or do you want to uh, knight? I don't want to pigeonhole you into antagonistic jamming, but I do like knighting. <laughs> okay. And you know I love to sad blast, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're sad blasting. Yes. Today we are sad blasting. Um, sad blasting day. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, uh, so in that case, Avery and I will be building 
characters. Did I hear that right? That sounds like it. That sounds mm-hmm. like it. Characters in Polaris, two of one, are named for a star. And many of them are either associated with some kind of a, a symbol, for example, like what the constellation is or represents, and then some of the stars are also identified with pieces or parts of that constellation. So like um, Orion, for example, could be a name you pick, uh, which is of course the hunter, but you could also pick a star that's a part of that. And that might be um, like Regal, the foot. (laughs) And yeah, so just different ones have different associations. Some of them are just straightforwardly whatever the star or constellation is named after. Uh, There's a handy dandy guide in the back of the book that we have in front of us. So apologies if there are any paper noises. Um, We're trying very hard, but we will inevitably fail because uh, this is a tragic game. Uh, (laughs) Even the recording will fail. I've just talked over him. (laughs) (laughs) That's not helpful either. (laughs) Part part of the tragedy of this game is the audio crimes we'll commit because we have a single audio source now and not any mics because we're playing in person. We're playing in person. The greatest demon was the audio crimes we committed along the way. (laughs) Okay. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a handy dandy guide to night names. Um, do you want to pick a night name first or after we build the character? I'm happy to pick a name. I like Cygnus. Um, I, I think that that's a fun name for a night. Yeah. I think I'm going with Octans. Octans. Okay. This is jumping a little bit, but each of us starts with a zeal of four. Yes. An ice of one and a light of one. And then we do our themes. Themes measure a knight's soul. Uh, the cosmos, which is our character sheet, describes the world around the night, and the values describe the night's inner world. The protagonist's themes serve to describe certain events, objects, abilities, or relationships which will come up time and time again in their story. Each night has the same four themes, which are offices, fate, blessings, and ability. Each night also has several aspects, which you list under those uh, themes, to describe how these themes apply to that night personally. Offices describe the formal roles which the knight ha- relates to society. Uh, possible office, office aspects include memberships in clubs or secret societies, memberships in a great family or great house, a job or honorary appointment, or a general social role. All protagonists start with the office aspect, Knight of the Order of the Stars. And then both Juliana and I are going to be able to pick two additional aspects when we are done with this. Yes. Which differentiate us as knights from one another. The fate theme describes those things external to the night that will be important to their story. Aspects are specific people, demons, events, or ideas that are tied strongly into their history, reputation, or destiny. Yeah, and fate is something that we're deciding together because that's our uniting thread. For setting purposes, I think it would be fun if this was set just before spring. Mm, I also like that. Uh, So that we know that this is like the last few weeks, few days before the demons will really come pouring out of the mistake. We can start to hear the ice begin to crack in some places, and that's metaphorical. Winter is usually in remnants of the city. Winter is a time of politics and affairs of state. This is a time when knights are appealed, uh, appeal for resources and are generally denied. This is a time when people are at their most ruthless. And do you want to write out spring as well? Yeah. Uh, spring is, this is just my notes on this, uh, spring is a time of laying siege to the mistake and is a time of atrocity. For the sun itself has not yet fully risen, or if it does, does only briefly. The people are reminded, the dawn captivates the people of the cities. 
who are held in its gaze, hypnotic, reminded of that first blush of it before its danger became apparent. Yeah. So I like, I like setting this. Do you want to almost say like, it's like a music box winding down. Yeah. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the last days of winter. God. And I don't know if this is just, you know, the fact that this is the first time I've seen snow all winter and I live somewhere that should get snow and global warming is playing on my mind, but I'm almost wondering if this was like, you know, those like little touches of unseasonal warmth and you're like, I don't quite think it should be doing this. Hmm. Um, I like the idea that warming is haunting the narrative. Like a false spring. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that's to be written down anywhere. I think it's just something on my mind. Yeah. I wonder if that's what the politics are going, that's what's going on with politics is someone, someone that we both have a professional relationship with who is warning about the false spring. Mm. Like, yes, spring's coming early, but it'll, it'll be fine. It'll go back to the way it's supposed to be. Okay. Like the, the idea that, that they themselves are saying, no, this false spring is bad or that they are saying this false spring is nothing to worry about. We don't need... I think whichever one's more interesting to you. Mm. I I think the latter almost speaks to like a betrayal within the nights because like this feels like someone that this feels like someone that we know and someone that we trust. Yeah, I like that, and I like that it's new this winter. This mm-hmm. the winter of politics. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that his title is Chancellor. I realize it's I realize it's 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 one of those like there's one of those big classic star names, but I al- almost want to give this to Chancellor Vega. Yes, Chancellor Vega. Absolutely. And this is under full moon. Mm -hmm. Who advocates for the falseness of this seeming spring. This might be a fun time for Juliana and I to flip through part of the back of the book and pick up our our two unique aspects. Yes, absolutely. Blessings is gear. Gear doesn't have a mechanical application. They just give you more things to work with narratively. The conflict resolution here is a little bit peculiar to the game. It is based off of basically climbing stakes and by having a blessing or a piece of equipment that basically just sounds really cool, you can do some cool stuff with it because you basically went, hi, I have a cool sword. So, you know, at a narratively significant moment, I can shatter the sword and, you know, that will give me some more leverage as I negotiate with my mistaken in order to come to a come to a reasonable conclusion about what happens. Okay, I think I'm taking skill sculptor. Okay. Description is, you can the ice. It moves through your guidance to reveal its true and beautiful forms, shaping your hands into shaping its forms. People, cities, stars, and other things that have not been seen before and shall not be seen again. And, just as the ice gives them likeness and shape, the light within reveals something more personal and true a form beyond shape, a meaning to the thing you have made and what you have made it after. Once people clamored and waited to be sculpted by you, but now they are afraid of the insight you will show. How it might aid you? You recognize a form through touch. Your sculpture is renowned. You make a beautiful thing. Your art gives you insight into the nature of something. You feel your way effortlessly, even when blind. You speak silently to the ice and it responds. How it might hinder you? Something terrible lurks beneath the ice. Your art is scorned and no one will look at it. Posiers badger you about unimportant minutiae. You make a horrible thing. Your art gives you insights into the nature of the mistake. They take your hands. You speak silently to the ice and it lies to please you. And then honestly, I might take the wings. 
reasonable. You should, I think you should take the wings. Um, and as a, as a note, uh, these are just example aspects. Uh, we would be fully able to make up our own, but also the ones in the book are really fun and we would like to play with them. So that's what we're going to be doing. I am also looking at Bound Companion Arrakis. Mm. Description, bonded to you since birth. Arrakis is your friend and servant, the perfect handmaiden, attendant on your every need before you even wish it in your heart. She followed you into knighthood as your squire and serves you still in that capacity. She is clever, quick, and pretty ultimately useful and perfectly loyal. How she might aid you. She leaps in front of the Black Knight's sword, protecting you from the final blow. She throws your sword out to you from across the room. A sudden cry of, Look out! How she might hinder you. She will not let you go into danger. She clings to you, even in the night. She is jealous of your lovers. Others regard your relationship as strange. I think I like that. I think I'm going to change her name just so that it's not, you know, a dune planet. Uh, <laughs> I like Cygnus and Capella. I think that her name is Capella. Okay. Um, I think Cygnus is they them. Uh, Capella is... Capella can be she, her. So something to think about here, then, is that the other thing we need to do is finish filling out our cosmos. So we need a secondary character in each of our slots. Theoretically, Juliana has two of these already, but can put in another one if she would like. Technically, I have Chancellor Vega available as someone to whom I have a hierarchical relationship. And then, personally, I think we should talk about the people or demons in our mistaken slot. Oh, with a person oh, who's we, mistaken it for us. We, we simply must. <laughs> I like the idea, and you can shoot me down, but I like the idea that, that Chancellor Vega is very old. Mm. And I like the idea that pronouns are new. Interesting. This, this creates an interesting space because so much of the, like, the history lore uh -huh. is so gendered in specific ways. Like, there was a king, and he was a very good and wise king, and there was a queen, and she was very beautiful. And, like, if that's being imposed backwards onto the past. I really like that. I really like that. Well, and I think also, people were referred to much more by their social role in the past. The, the king's pronoun is king. The mm -hmm. king has a name. But king is the pronoun. And Polaris was the king's name, but that's... Oh, yeah, I like that a lot. You'll notice that on each side of the themes, uh, there is an M and an H, uh, because each theme is able to be ticked off twice, um, once by the mistaken and once by the heart. Um... So everything that Juliana has, you can use against her. Yes. <laughs> and should. Mm -hmm. Ideally, yes. Yeah, notably all of these like extra, all, all of these aspects when they're listed in the back of the book come with a how, how this could help you and how this could hinder you, should you ever want for ideas. I kind of like having the idea of two, for me personally, I like the idea of having two characters in each quadrant because that gives Jack a little bit of something to work with. Um, I like the idea that Cygnus, even though we're both novices, I think Cygnus is a little greener. Mm. Um, because I love the idea that Capella just kind of joined in. I don't want to immediately say, because I don't know where the story is going, Eponine vibes, but also Eponine vibes. Okay. Um, <laughs> we love that. It's basically written into the... Yeah, which is basic, it's basically written into the, uh, into the Bound Companion piece. And, and I like that. I, I like that reading of, of the idea of a Bound Companion. 
um, as someone who has downed herself to me and, you know, she's my friend. Which means that I think I would like to put Octans in mm. my full moon, if that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm full mooning for you anyways. Okay. I think Cygnus looks up to Octans. Interesting. I think I am new mooning. Her name is Alva. Alva? Alva, that is A-U-V-A. Ah, and I think very fellow artist. Okay. Perhaps in some way rival. I'm, I'm trying to think of a new moon character, um, and I'm open to suggestions. Mm. I think someone that you want to protect is important. And someone who doesn't know or understand that they need protection. Someone who is one of the people and when the dawn comes for a time uh-huh. we'll lose them. I like that being his mother in that case. That they <coughs> go, you know, what why is it you know, why does it matter? The dawn brings lovely colors and the mistake is something long ago and you know, she joins the vast crowds gone to I imagine there's like a, a particular place that has been built to refract the light, make it go from beautiful to stunning. And I think that that is a source of constant tension between her and Cygnus. And I think that his mother is they, she. I think into my full moon, uh, this is for you, Jack, I am putting, her name is Volpicula. I'm sorry about the names. Every time. Can you say that slowly? Yep. <laughs> it's Volpicula. Volpicula. And I think Octans sculpted her. Mm. And it revealed something that neither of them wanted to see. Is Volpicula the sculpture or the person that he sculpted? Both. It was a sculpture of ice. He works primarily in ice. I think she ordered it destroyed. He couldn't. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> But specific, yeah, specifically because I'm full mooning Volpicula, like this is something where Octan certainly sees their relationship as being like social or hierarchical. Like, mm-hmm. I think she's probably in the government, and yeah. like to a degree, this is just this is a patron. Yeah, but Octan's feelings about Volpicula the statue are more complicated. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Love the guy we're making. <laughs> okay, can we go through those again? Just so yeah, can get one? yeah. We both hold the office of Knight of the Order of the of Stars. Okay. We both hold the blessing Sword of Starlight. We both have the ability Lore of Demons. And the Fate Last Days of Winter. Send oh, someone nice. else for a new moon if you've got any Yeah. Concept. This is partially a joke. Uh, but also, you know. Full moon Volpicula, new moon Volpicula statue. <laughs> I kind mistake. of mistake. Statue. <laughs> mm, okay, that's fair. I was actually thinking about that. Is uh-huh. mistake Volticola statue? That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think I am doing mistake in Volticola statue. Yeah. This is really good. Yeah. No, as soon as you were describing it over in uh, the full moon, I was like, mm. <laughs> but, but what if? <laughs> but what if? Which means I do still need another new moon relationship. Uh, I mean, do you have a protege? Artistically, sort of. Okay. Protégé, rival. Oh, okay. Fellow artist, rival, protégé. Yeah, got it. Really sort of, I think, someone who waxes as 
uh, as Octans wanes, in that I think he does his work during the winter, and Alva's comes to its full brilliance during the summer. That makes sense. Um, and she's in your. She's in my new moon. She's in the, your new moon. Okay. And I have I have my full moons are, are Chancellor Vega and Volpacula. Got it. Person. Person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you need another. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more about Octans. Yeah, Octans is often a solitary figure in in many ways. Uh, we know they are a sculptor, and we know they have their icy wings. And so I think in the winter, particularly, they are taken to long flights. One thing I'm actually just realizing now, too, is that I said that Cygnus is they, them, mm-hmm. and I like that. And I noticed that their bound companion is she, her, and their mother... I said they, she, but I think she's she, her. Okay. Because I think they both very much embrace the new. Okay. Um, and I think, that, I think that Cygnus really, truly thinks things should be back. We should, you know, push against the new, be back the way they were. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know about this gender thing. I don't know about this light thing. And goes to join. You're so trapped in the past, Cygnus. I'm gonna fucking hate this. <laughs> um, I have no idea what mistaken, like what, mm. like when you're making the mistaken. Yeah. Do you make? Is this a person? Is this like an entity? Is this mm. a a symbol of so, them? Okay. So interestingly enough, because we are in like because we are in the this winter to fall spring. I think both of you have a lot of options in this, in that you could go with something that, like, you know in your heart is a demon. Like, you go, ah, yeah, you know, this is a demon of doubt. Uh, Or you could say, hey, yeah, a lot of problems are just coming from within. Like, the people themselves are not, are the people themselves worth defending? Like, maybe part of the problem is one of these people. Okay. I guess I'm imagining that, like... If there is a demon of doubt, it's not going to be personified in a single individual. Yes, that's fair. But it's going to be like, you know, like mist. It's a mist that slips in under your door at night. And it, it, it just, it's the fog that is between people. Yeah. So that they can't quite see themselves. As yeah. They yeah, I still have a new moon character to figure out. And we still have another mistaken. We do. I, yeah, I'm just having trouble give, like, figuring mm-hmm. out what form this mistaken would take. Well, because what I was saying to Avery was that I'm imagining this as sort of, you know, doubt, like, the fog that creeps in between you and the world so that everything seems sort of twisted and distorted. But it's difficult to, like, make that a character. I liked the mist idea that you were talking about, like, even if it's just something very, very faint, because it also plays off of at the center of the mistake. There's this, like, smoke that's not really smoke that kind of mm. evaporates. Carries very good demon vibes. Uh-huh. Oh, what if there's, like, a giant sunlight dwarf who lives in the mists? Like, a something something eminently stabbable, right? Like, there's a demon, it's bad, and you can go and hit it with a sword until it dies. And that is found in the mists of doubt. Which is another demon. Does that make sense? The pairing's fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I was there's was another thought I had about your mist demon, which a, a fun thing is uh the mist doesn't have to be its own independent thing. It could just be 
when someone breathes out in the cold and you see <gasps> oh. oh the breath yeah it's not mist it's the breath Okay, I like the breath. That's fun. Yeah. I like the breath and the boar. And the boar, we'll see. We'll see what matter the boar is. Yeah. I think the rumor that Cygnus has heard about the breath is that it's a fog that surrounds the boar. I think that that is what they know about it. Yeah. And I think the rumor that Cygnus has heard about the boar is that the boar's heat and flame... Maybe the cause of this false spring. Ah, yep. And that if only he could slay the boar, winter would last just a little longer. So I'm imagining the boar looming large in Cygnus' mind, and the breath is just kind of his afterthought. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about, <laughs> Don't worry about it. This is a little, this is a little thing. Uh-huh. Clearly, it's it's insignificant. <laughs> it it's certainly well, less dangerous than the boar, surely. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, the boar is the boar is hot and fiery, and so you can see its breath. But is the society still called Polaris? Avery? Ah, good question. Maybe the remnants. The remnants. The people of the remnants are still pretty fundamentally people of ice. They're they're fundamentally pretty see through. They're translucent. They're translucent. <laughs> um, <clears throat> they're translucent and they're cold, and. So I think the idea that they could breathe out in the cold and not simply be part of the cold, emit heat, is is mm. completely foreign and would be utterly terrifying to Cygnus. That's cool. Yeah, so I'm putting down uh, the boar, the boar's heat, uh, the boar's heat and flame are the cause of the false spring, and the breath, the boar can be found where the breath is. Where there is evidence of breath. So, because of the... So I'm trying to figure out my Avenue Moon portion. It seems like a lot of stuff going on with with Octans a little bit is, like, playing into almost undermining the reality of the people. In that, like, there's whatever is going on with Lopakula's statue. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. It's fine. It's uh, totally safe and <laughs> not a problem. Mm-hmm. But you know they have they have Chancellor Vega, who is who is saying that this is about a false spring, and we need not worry. We have what was the split between Volpicula and Volpicula's statue, like the image of the reality, mm. uh, and like we have this this rival question mark artist who is working with this new medium, waxing where octants is waned, etc. And so I'm trying to figure out an, an additional new moon that would play into things in an interesting way or offset them. I don't want to, like, make it too similar, but you Mm. can have like, a grandparent or a very old friend Mm. who is, like, the dying old guard. Yeah. Mm. Maybe a mentor, actually. Mm. No, this is- I I like the mentor idea. Uh, I think this is potentially an artistic mentor. This is someone who is working on their final project that is deep in the dark, and it will be their tomb. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> their name is Asterope, and the sun will never reach them. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'm so fucking jazzed for this. <laughs> and I like the idea that all of the people of the remnants are translucent. 
as therapy is fading, as therapy te- mm-hmm. as therapy is almost transparent. As yes, is. yes. Mm-hmm. I look, Juliana. I was so close to saying like, yeah, this person is like already like mostly encased in ice, and like I only did this did not say that because like I want to give them agency. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if this is canonical or not. I mean, I like the idea that it doesn't matter that the people of the remnants just kind of fade away, mm-hmm. and and the the creation of a tomb at all is is artistic, you know. It's a cenotaph. What's a cenotaph? A cenotaph is a tomb without a body. Oh. It, it's a marker of something that's absent. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Lister, can you tell we're having fun? (laughs) We have one more mistake. We have one more mistake we need to figure out. Yeah. I'm very happy with our statue of Volcacula. Uh huh. (laughs) And I'm not sure what else I want to do, so if you have ideas, you can throw them in. One thought I had that I was considering just lumping in with the statue of Volcacula is. Uh, a demon of reflection Ooh. um and i could separate those or put them sort of together but mm. not completely together <laughs> i think sort of together is reason like we're probably mm-hmm. getting through like one major yeah bit <clears throat> with with this i like the i like the idea of a demon of reflection because if ice works like stone for example which i don't know if it does but i'm pretending it does um <laughs> you, stipulate <laughs> you polish it until you can polish it until it almost has a mirror sheen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I think that the idea... And ice is something that is that is pure and holy and old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea that as the light creeps in, there's a demon that hides in reflections. Mm-hmm. Because ice, when it's old, it has sort of little surface fractures. It has this... Uh, depth to it. It only becomes like truly reflective, translucent when it's melting because of the water on its surface. God, I love this. I love everything about this. <laughs> uh, as a note, most of the game goes into free play. Uh, there's very little dice rolling and the mechanical phrases get used only when there's disagreement. In fact, we are probably going to have to make paper noises when we stand up to grab dice. Both of you assume that I need to stand up to get dice. <laughs> so when are dice used? So there are two po- times when dice are used. They can be used during a conflict negotiation. If if things are like going to a point where there is not agreement uh, and someone makes the like, no, it shall not come to pass. Move. Oh, you get to because you, 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 you gotta roll to resolve that. Otherwise you're just negotiating with the with the phrases until you are until we are all satisfied. But the other time that you roll is if you are doing an experience roll, which is if the knight takes actions indicative of hatred of the people, sympathy for the mistaken, callousness, cynicism, or apathy. And you only ever roll a single d6, right? Correct. If there is an argument about what counts for experience, the mistaken makes the final decision. Mm. You can roll experience right when you see it, or you can wait until the end of the scene to roll for it. If you do the second, make sure to count each separate instance. You get a great love experience from a single scene. So, what are the parameters for success or failure? Yep. I. Whenever experience (laughs) occurs, the heart rolls a die. If the number showing is less than or equal the protagonist's zeal or weariness value, the result is an advance. 
so the knight gets to add one to either ice or light and subtracts one from their zeal. Or if they're a veteran, add one to weariness. Uh, this okay. is also a time for a knight to move or or add more aspects. If the number showing is greater than the protagonist's zeal or weariness value, the result is a refresh. So you ex- refresh all exhausted themes for both the hard and the mistaken. So this is something where, like, because you're rolling, like, at or lower to advance in your zeal to weariness, like, it's, it's going to be easy to lo- lose those first few zeal points. It's going to be more difficult to lose your last zeal point and, like, start gaining weariness, but once you're gaining weariness, you're off like a shot. Yeah. Um, so, wearing the zeal versus weariness pacing is really important to this game. Notably because your protagonist, it's a tragedy. Character death is very important to the pacing of a tragedy. But you can't, your character can't die until you have a weariness score, until you're a veteran. And even then, only the character's heart only the player is able to ask for the death of a character in escalation. So we'll talk a little bit in a minute about escalation mechanics of conflict. But any character death is chosen by the player. That said, if your character reaches a weariness score of four, they don't die, but they do become a demon. And that is something that just happens. Um, they are, they are corrupted by the light. Um, yeah, you can get, like, some say in how that happens, but it is gonna happen. It is gonna happen. So, like, all good tragedies, in this particular instance, um, you, the only thing you truly have agency in over is, is how you die. But we are unlikely to reach that exactly. level in the confines of this game. Yes, we will not do that, which means our characters almost certainly can't die. Um, that which, said, yeah. just as a, an additional note, so that, like, we are prepared if we do get there, uh-huh. because it's possible that we hit some, especially if we are doing these where, where we are playing out the scene instead of just making statements about the scene. Yeah. If we hit, like, a button experience, <laughs> and for example, someone does tip over into being a veteran, you add one to both ice and light, mm-hmm. you replace your zeal value with your weariness value. And in the next scene, the knight must encounter the Frost Maiden or the Solaris Knight. And in that scene must learn from them the doom of all knights to betray their cause. Add betrayal of people to the knight's fate theme. Which is very cool. The Solaris Knight and the Frost Maiden, I believe, are, you know, my personal interpretation is that they're the queen and her knight from the mythology. So this is, this is, it is noted in the text that this is a, a common interpretation. But yeah, a couple, couple of notes here. The Solaris Knight appears to be the greatest general among the demons and greatly respected by their kind. He is one of the people, golden-haired, and he wields a starlit sword that burns bright and hot with the fire of the sun. His blood is so cold that it is frozen into icicles that break through his skin. But, for all that, he is tall and strong, and one of the people. He has been known at times to speak with knights, and though he has been driven back and defeated many times, even killed, he returns the same every summer. The Frost Maiden is even more rarely seen. She is the epitome of beauty among the people, thin and silver-haired, with eyes the white color of the highest star. She wanders the wasted landscape between the remnants, all alone, and contents herself with a sort of melancholy songs that can only be heard by the saddest of souls. Snow falls from her breath, and her kiss turns the most loving heart to ice. Uh, So some among the people do say what Juliana believes uh, in their heart, 
which is that this is Polaris's queen and her champion. In the oldest and weariest and wisest among the knights, those that are near to death, know that the Solaris knight and the ice maiden are every knight who has ever, frustrated and angry, cast lots against the people. Every knight who has ever despaired of his people's faith. Every knight who has ever turned to the demons with a corrupt and blackened heart. They're terrible because they are mighty, yes, but they are all the more terrible because they are the future of every knight who does not perish in battle against them. They are t most terrible because, with one look into their eyes, you know that once, a forgotten age ago, they meant well. So, like, this doesn't mean that they're not also the queen, but... Uh-huh. But who's to say? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. We'll, we'll take that as we go. We probably won't hit it, but we'll see. And so I'm just gonna go over, uh, the... How a hero is made, make sure that we've checked everything off. Uh, first, choose a name. We've done that. Second, on the character's record sheet, write down their initial values, which we did. Third, on the character sheet, uh, underneath each of the themes, write down the initial aspects for each theme, which we did. Fourth, choose an extra aspect for two of your themes. Uh, fifth, fill out the cosmos, which we did. Have it, You have to have at least a secondary character, person, or demon in each section. You can also add a few extra things if you want, but don't overdo it. Two or three per category is fine. We decided to have two. Now it's time to assign a guidance. Uh, okay, which is basically assigning who is your mistaken, who is your, and then who are each of your moves. We did that. The book notes that if you want to shuffle seating at this point, you can, but not afterwards. Each, even in a multiple session game, seating should continue in the same pattern each time. So that, for example, even if we played multiple sessions of this, Z is always going to be my new moon, Avery is always going to be full my moon. full moon, and Jack is always going to be my mistaken. We begin the character's story. Um, the way that you begin the story is by saying, but hope was not yet lost for your character's name, still heard the song of the stars. This is how to introduce the characters in your world. On the character's record sheet, write down their name, and then eighth, you have to decide who starts to play. The con let's go over the conflict phrases because these are the main mechanics of the game. So there are, I believe, eight key conflict phrases. Generally, in a scene, only the heart and the mistaken can begin a conflict uh, or can act within it. If the moons make a statement that would ordinarily be cause for a conflict, uh, or with which, like, the heart disagrees, and you wish to negate it and say, you know, this is not, this is not happening, I would ordinarily start a conflict for this, uh, but because you're the moons, we're not doing it, you would say, but it was no matter. And if you're opposing player, like, for example, Juliana, as my, like, as, as my new moon, uh -huh. went like, yeah, and then a therapy just, like, stabs Volpacula and, like, uh -huh. kills her to death. Uh, <laughs> uh -huh. Straight to death. Uh, Straight to death. And I go, wait, hang on. There were things we all wanted to do with Volpacula. And then I might go like, but it was no matter. And if he agrees with me that there are things we want to do with Volpacula, then they would also say, but but it was no matter. And then it negates anything that I said. It it It's like I was, you know, chiming in from the peanut gallery and everyone ignored it. Yeah. But conversely, if this is an idea that we want to take up, then the the additional pl the other player would say, "We shall see what comes of it." <coughs> and then we would enter into a conflict stage as though they had made that statement themselves. Other than that, uh, that's mostly how the moons work, and the moons largely are I'm going to call them the peanut gallery. They're much more important than a peanut gallery, but it it gives an idea of what they are. Mm -hmm. Now that we've entered into a conflict, though, mm -hmm we have limited options. We can try to 
Z has now said, yeah, you know, I think it's fun if Asterope stabs Volpahula. I can try to add new things mm-hmm. and only, and say, you know, but only if, if Volpacula survives. Uh, or like, yes, but only if the demon driving Asterope reveals itself. Mm-hmm. Alternately, if I wish to modify or remove this, I could either move into conflict resolution and say it shall not come to pass, at which point we would roll to decide this. Or I could say, you ask far too much, which would indicate that I think that Z should present me with a reduced or a different statement. I must exhaust an appropriate theme to do this. I can then choose between the statements and then we we continue into the conflict. Um, alternatively, if Z goes, what if Asterope kills Volticula? And Avery says, but only if uh, Volticula lives. It's a, it's a P. Volpacula. 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 Volpacula lives. Z can think, okay, yeah, that's cool. And then have another idea and say, and furthermore, you know, the assassin is caught. Or furthermore, you know, another statement that goes along with it. It's, it's a yes and mechanic. Yes. Uh, and furthermore also requires that you exhaust a theme for it. Uh, but if you if you pull out an and furthermore, then your opponent can either... Your opponent can, can do any phrase except uh, but only if. Uh, because you, you were not stopping a yes and with a, with, a, with a but. Or it was not meant to be. Now, if we're not in a further boring situation, we do have phrases which end conflicts. There's they shall not come to pass, which we've discussed. You move this into a role. There is, and that was how it happened, which accepts all statements. We go, you know, that's that's it. We've we've done it. You don't need to roll dice. Yep. Z as Z takes up that that Volpacula has been stabbed. I say, you know, but only but only if Volpacula survives. Z goes, and furthermore, uh, <laughs> X happens. This is all great to me. I go, and that was how it happened. We've exited conflict. Alternatively. We can walk things back a little bit by saying it was not meant to be. This this can only follow a but only if. If I had said, if if I had said yes, but Volpacula survives, and you know suddenly this is not an interesting situation anymore, uh, Z could could respond to this by going, it was not meant to be. So I don't get the last thing that I asked for, which was that Vol- Volpacula survives, and Z doesn't get thing the, the last thing that they asked for, which is that the stabbing happens. So we rewind this whole thing. We've played out this little possibility, but now we're, we're done with it. Al- alternately, if we'd gone like further into that, and if we were, but only if, but only if, but only if, mm-hmm. uh, that could then, we could then be walked back into a situation where it's just the stabbing happens, but they survive. Yeah. And it's not, you know, but the demon reveals itself, but, uh-huh. but you lose your sword. <laughs> uh-huh. Good, good, good. Okay. I think I get it. I think that we're going to have to play this out to really. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So then I think that that is the basic mechanics of the game. As you can probably see by now, this is a lot stranger than a game like where you, I love that we're going to beep that out again. Uh, <laughs> um, where you roll, you know, a d20 and, you know, it works or it doesn't. A d redacted. A d redacted. <laughs> Good lord. We don't not have, we're not d20 redacting d20s. We can't do that because we're going to play other systems. Yes, I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this game is so cool. The vibes are just so good. Join us next week to see how these knights meet their doom. And whether or not Volpacula's statue is actually animate, I'm very curious about that myself. If you like our show, why not give us a rate or review on your preferred podcast network? 
We are also on Blue Sky and Twitter at Calamity Vault and on Tumblr at Calamity Pod if you want to come check us out and see fan art, get show updates, all the fun stuff. See you next week.